This is Our Unwritten Books. I'm Katie, and my co-producer is Bridget. Bridget and I both have an interest in storytelling. She's a radio producer, and I write. And one day, we were both sort of wondering, well, how do things get done? How do people actually set out to achieve things and achieve them? And primarily in regards to story and to books. So we thought, okay, let's turn the lights on and see if anybody else is in here with us. If any other women specifically, because we felt like a lot of what we were dealing with felt very personal to being a woman dealing with confidence and permission, access. It's no secret that literature has predominantly belonged to men. However, we want to open up a space and a conversation for women to be able to talk about some of the things that are inhibiting them, that their work has the validity to find completion. In this first episode, we kind of explore the internal happenings inside the writer. The gap that goes from, okay, I have this idea and I'm going to complete this idea and not falling off along the way. What makes someone a reputable writer? What is enough? What is validation? What is a good story? These are all things that we just wanted to talk about. So first up, we have Naomi. She was born in Australia and then moved to London where she studied acting. Then she moved to New York, and during her time acting, she started writing her own plays. And in that time, a lot of life has happened to Naomi, including becoming a mother. And, of course, that's brought a significant amount of change to her life. From motherhood to playwriting, Naomi is the first of the four interviews featured in this episode. And she starts us out with the idea of wanting some guidance maybe even in the form of a mentor. I think my unwritten book would be plays, basically series of plays. I like short stories as well. I think there's so, I have a lot of unwritten books. I think it would be it would be really helpful just to have any kind of criticism and I would I feel like that could help a lot just to kind of shape things a lot better or just a mentor or somebody to say, "Look, this idea is great." this idea is crap or get rid of that scene I mean what is that doing there and kind of show you you need to write a scene to bridge this relationship or I don't know I think I I need a bit of guidance basically all the time I am constantly going around be like will you be my mentor will you be my mentor like that are you my mother book and it's like are you my mentor are you my mentor (laughs) and there's this really this desire in me to have someone it's not necessarily a desire for validation I guess maybe deeply it is when you create something independently like a play or a book of short stories or whatever it is a novel uh, is that that's you like flying solo in the wind and if you could have someone there to help shape you I think that would benefit hugely I actually did um there's a Pataphysics, yeah. It's a workshop for playwrights and they accept 13 people every year and it's for the Flea Theatre. I did that last year. I was pregnant, I think. And I, I got accepted. I didn't think that I would and it was really kind of great to go and the guy... I felt, I felt a bit, Im- not embarrassed, but out of place when I went there because everyone was so um, intelligent and very, I don't know, just very good at 
what they're doing they all studied playwriting a lot of them anyway but they were very I didn't I don't understand a lot of words that they use I guess it's like talking shop I didn't study that so I don't really understand a lot of the terms that they used and I remember coming home and saying to my husband oh my gosh I'm so stupid like I don't know what the hell they're talking about and it was actually inspiring to listen to these plays because as a mother you really lose the sense of who you are and you feel like I went out last night which was pretty amazing with a girlfriend of mine and I was walking down the street with her and we're like look at those people they don't have to go home they they're just going out they're just I'm going out I'm just gonna pop out and like grab a coffee or meet a friend and I was sitting at a bar and there were these two girls about my age just like sitting there talking and I was like "Mm mm-hmm that's nice I remember those days when I could just go to a bar and sit there and drink a bottle of wine no I have to plan that in a month in advance and then I can't even drink a bottle of wine because I have to breastfeed so then you get you know and then maybe you have maybe a little bit too much to drink and then you're like I'm a terrible mother and you're sitting there at three in the morning pumping like non-existent alcohol out of your breasts so I mean I think it is important to find time to do the work because it actually brings you back to who you are as a person and what you want to do and like how you see the world instead of like I'm cleaning a diaper I'm cooking dinner I went to the grocery store today my dog needs to be walked it's kind of that life gets monotonous and you have to really um I think you really have to push to find time to do it because otherwise you lose yourself I think when when it's a bad day you're just like oh my gosh this is just too much I just I just should just give up because this is this is way too much and you I think I've said that to myself a million times but then I keep getting up and writing another play or some poem or, I don't know I think I really want it, it to be heard because it's it it is really important that people I think it of course it is really important that people hear your work and I want them to understand what's going on in my mind or how I see this person on the street or how I see that person on the street maybe that's really self-obsessive I don't know or indulgent but I think in any kind of art form you really you you want people to see your work and unfortunately I hate asking people for things it's like a really I'm kind of pissed off that I'm like that I wish I wasn't like that I wish I could just go and just say yeah okay can you do this for me and do that for me and not feel bad but I feel so much guilt I'm very interested in this idea of inconveniencing people so that we can achieve what or achieve is the wrong word but go after pursue so that we can pursue what we care about and there are especially in a place like New York there's so much tenacity to just ask and be present and you get what you ask for but then there is this innate feeling of oh no I I, I I wouldn't want to bother you or inconvenience you in any way so that because what if my idea fails or what if we get to the end of it and it's just a silly blog instead of expecting people to want to participate and be available for you and your work like what is that fear of inconveniencing other people I don't know I think it's kind of pathetic now when I when I when I say it, it just seems ridiculous because the amount of work that I've done for free for people is kind of ridiculous. And I've never been like, oh, that idea wasn't very good. Or, well, I mean, what were they thinking when they wrote that? Everybody's in the same boat. That's something I really have to remember. And even if I set out to do a play and it ends up being maybe a few short monologues 
so fucking what? At least I'm producing something and getting something out there. I th- when you have these great moods, you can kind of see past all that kind of crap of your concern because you, nothing will ever get done if I just sit on my ideas or feel bad about asking somebody. And especially in New York, you're right. Everybody is so pushy and asks. And if you don't ask, you don't get anywhere. I don't think that you can just sit down and write these things and think, oh, yeah, one day somebody is going to come around and say, like, that is amazing. I'm going to give you $100,000 or whatever to produce this play. I mean, it's not going to happen. I should just get over myself and just push people to read it, even if it inconvenience. I have a girlfriend that's always pushing me to read her stuff. And I don't really have a lot of time, but I do it. And it might be a little bit inconvenient, but it's helping her. I'm, I know she would she would definitely do it for me because she's always telling me, send me, send it to me, send it to me, but I don't want to... But then again, I don't want to waste her time because she might go, oh God, that was fantastic. Um, what should I write back to that? Uh, you know, I, I just feel like I might... I, just, I need to get over myself. It's the bottom line. It's not an issue of getting over yourself. I think it's an issue of allowing yourself to do what you want to do and what is innately something that you care about. How would you feel if your work whatever it is in the unwritten form so for you plays never came to fruition if it never happened I think that would be devastating especially because now I have a child I want her to um see my mindset when I was maybe when she's you know 31 she'll go oh you know here's a picture of my mom she can see a picture of me at 31 but she doesn't really know who I was or what I was thinking or what I was going through at that point so I think the writing would be really important because she could go oh my mom wrote this play when she was my age and like god what the hell was going on in her head or I've she's learning it'd be important for her to learn about me not as a mother as a woman like she will be joining in next is nat and she lives in north carolina where she works as a middle school creative writing teacher so we had the chance to chat with her via skype and during that conversation we found out nat is a wonderful poet and is also a visual artist as well but for her it's about everyone around her saying, oh, no, you can absolutely be a writer. You are a writer. You could get published anywhere that you want. But where are the places and how does Nat want to be published? And what would be good enough? And is the work ever going to be good enough? And about letting go. Uh, my name's Nat. I'm a 26-year-old middle school creative writing and English teacher living in Durham, North Carolina. My interest in writing is mostly prose poetry um, in the style of memoir and nonfiction in general. So would you identify as a writer or more as a teacher who writes? I'm pretty open in telling people that I write a lot. But I think of myself more as a writer with like a lowercase w in the same sense that somebody who's a home cook doesn't call themselves a chef. You know, you can be really good in the kitchen and you can understand flavor profiles and you can make beautiful things in your home to share with people, but it doesn't make you a chef. Um, So that's sort of where I am, but I'm definitely a writer. 
obviously you're creating a huge amount of work all year long, a year's worth of work alongside your students because you're giving them examples. You're also diving into it yourself, but then you're keeping it for the classroom. What would it take for you to feel like you had the ability to submit it to wherever you'd like? That's a question that I've been asked a lot, um, especially because I have a close friend that works for a really successful literary magazine, a well-read literary magazine, and she's always asking me to submit things, and there's always something that stops me. And so I can sit here all day and say, oh, if I could just submit something and get it published, put it in print, I'd be a writer. But it's hard for me to articulate what keeps me from taking that plunge other than to say that I'm just scared. I'm scared of that rejection, which is so hypocritical because I preach to my kids. I tell my kids all the time, it's not rejection. It's criticism. It's a learning opportunity. You know, you use all these positive, fluffy things, but it's still rejection at the end of the day. Something's getting pushed back at you, and that's scary. How do your students tend to respond to quote-unquote rejection? Oh, not well. Not well at all. I think, especially middle school students, literal, they're so black and white about everything. So if you give them back a paper that has any kind of critique on it, they don't look at what you identified as successful. They only focus on the things that are negative. Um, And they sort of adopt that as part of their identity. They tack it on. They wear it. Um, They wear rejection and wrongfulness. How does it make you feel when you know how people see your work and what could be done with your work based off of how you're perceiving your work? Oh, sometimes I just think that they they like me so much. It sounds sort of conceited, but, you know, they like me so much, my personality, that they see my work for better than it really is. And, uh, you know, we're all our own worst critics. And uh, so when they hear something or read something or see something and they gawk at it and say how great it is, I take it with a grain of salt. And I say, well, they're supposed to say that, you know, or they don't, you know, they don't know because they're not writers or they don't know because they're not artists. I don't know. I I talk myself out of. They're not the big W writer, right? They're like, they're people that are supposed to affirm you and support you. So then what would what type of situation or social group or readership would you be interested in that would be, oh, they're not just liking this because they care about me? Um, I think they have to be perfect strangers. Perfect strangers that have some sort of credibility in that realm of creativity. No, absolutely. I think there is a certain level of established writers that say thumbs up or, or readers even that say thumbs up or thumbs down your work is good or it's not thus like literary journals that we're trying to get published in they're the ones that affirm us as writers and if we're not in there we're not in the certain mfa program or the certain group then therefore our work is not good enough i performed a slam poem last year in front of a room full of like 308 graders and i got a standing ovation and it felt great, you know? I was like, hey, I wrote I wrote a slam poem, and I performed it, 
and I got a standing ovation and I was on this high and then on my way down from this experience all I kept thinking was yeah but they're eighth graders what do they know Hmm. you know they would have given anything a standing ovation I mean it's just the inner middle schooler that lives within all of us comes out and you just you know, you start picking yourself apart. I don't know what it would take for someone to make me think that my stuff was good. Really. But I guess also, too, you only want to put stuff out or your work out that feels like it's the one. It's the great thing. It is the encompassing idea of what you've been striving towards for your life, in your practice, whatever. But then how how can you get to that point unless you're producing a bunch of work to begin with? Yeah, and it's kind of like that idea. I mean, I'm in my mid-20s. Whether I like it or not, people in my life are getting married and having babies, and they're trying to, you know, it's that whole, well, the perfect time, the perfect time to get married, the perfect time to have a kid, and then there's that old adage, that your parents tell you, which is there's never a perfect time to have a kid. If you wait until you're ready, you never will. And I am so far away from thinking about those things, but that's how I, that's how I see my writing sometimes. You know, sometimes I get a fire lit under me, and I'm like, if I wait till the perfect time to submit something, I'll never do it because I'll never be so content or so happy or so elated with a piece of work that I would be willing to put it under fire. That'll never happen. I'll never be a writer with a capital W if I wait to do that. Up next, we'll hear from Courtney. Courtney lives in New York. She has an MFA and has been published several times, both for her personal essays and her book reviews. She does a lot in the community to help other writers in their own endeavors. She's working on a memoir and she has a lot of key things to say about permission. I write nonfiction, so I write book reviews and personal essays. And for the last three and a half years, I've been working on a memoir called Teaching and Drinking, which is a memoir about when I was teaching special ed in the South Bronx at the age of 22 while bottoming out as a young alcoholic. I mean, obviously, your story is one that probably happens more often than we talk about, specifically with young people that are jumping into the educational profession. Um, But being able to remove yourself and zoom out from that a little bit, then you have to say this kind of this idea of like, these are the ways I failed. Um, And was there any type of nervousness? Maybe that's the original fear of like bucking back against someone encouraging you to write about that. I think fear is definitely a big part of it. You know, fear, fear is something I wrestle with every day. And in this case, in particular, in looking at, you know, my very, very short teaching career and all of the mistakes I made, I also just was really burdened with guilt. I had so much guilt that I had tried, that I had failed these kids, that I had not been a great teacher, that I had failed these families. And it was really hard to look at that. And it was also really hard to look at that without just trying to sound like a murderer, without just trying to like throw myself a pity party and be like, you know, it's a fucked up system and the odds were stacked against me. And, you know, so it's, it's, 
there were a lot of complex feelings, including fear and guilt and just feeling like if I couldn't have been helpful in that community as a teacher, how could I ever write something that could be helpful to anyone about that experience? You know, a lot of self-doubt. Daniel Jose Older wrote an essay for BuzzFeed like a year or two ago about writing the other versus writing you. And one of the things, it's like a bunch of bullet points of brilliant advice. And one of the pieces of advice was, you know, even if you're afraid of, of you know, making mistakes and writing about something difficult, you should still write about it. And I think that's where it had to change, where I was like, what if I wrote a memoir about a young white teacher who failed, who didn't persevere, who didn't, you know, become the freedom writers or, you know, and there's like another popular teaching memoir about a man who worked two extra jobs so he could like teach his children Shakespeare and take them to London. And I was like, what about just like the mediocre teachers? Like, what about the everyday teachers? And what about the teachers who fail? And if I illuminated those mistakes in a story, could other people learn from them? You know, one of one of the quotes I have above my desk is a Mary Carr quote who's kind of reinterpreting Dorothy Parker. And it says, I hate not writing. I hate writing, but I am wildly crazy about having written or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and that's kind of my relationship to writing where it's like if I'm not doing it, I'm beating myself up about doing it. If I am writing, sometimes it's going well, but a lot of the times it's probably not. But once I have written something, and especially once that thing gets out into the world, it really, it, you know, it's like, that's it for me. You know, it's like, that's, yeah, it's, it's like, I almost can't articulate that feeling. Um, And in terms of giving myself permission to be a writer, that is something I struggle with so much. And I think what has helped me is hearing other specifically other women writers, hearing other women writers claim writing as their thing um, and tell their stories. And it's amazing. It's like there have been books in my life where I did not think it would be possible to write about a subject or a life until I read it. And one of those books is Michelle T's memoir, Valencia, which came out in, I think, the year 2000. And, you know, she was like this young punk rock dyke in San Francisco writing this memoir about her life, about like fucking up and drinking a lot and, you know, like having lovers and getting heartbroken and being like relentlessly queer. And I read that book when I was 18 and it was the first time I realized that like you could be a dyke and write a memoir. Like that had not occurred to me before then. And I had come out in high school, you know, I had read some other, you know, queer books that meant so much to me. But that was a book where I was like, oh, you can take your big, messy, queer life and write a really passionate story about it and it will have a place in the world, you know. And so that that's like one of those key moments of permission for me. There's been the kind of larger moments of permission that I can write queer stories, I can write about my own life, that even though my own experiences might seem trite or small or not interesting, if I spend enough time trying to tell the best story, I eventually can tell a story that might be of service to the world. We end this first episode in a conversation with Laura. She's Australian, but lives in Edinburgh, where she's done an extensive amount of study. She's also had a great many of her short stories published. At this point, Laura is interested in publishing her first novel, and she's trying to get it written day by day, getting in there and spending time on it. And her conversation is a little bit different 
Uh, my name is Lara. Um, I was born in Australia. I've been living in Edinburgh for the past four years. I've studied literature and creative writing for about five years, and I am attempting to finish a novel at the moment. Would you say that you're a pretty like voracious reader as well? I read all the time, definitely. Um, from very, very young, very, very young age when I could basically read, I was always with books. I mean, I was getting told off at home for reading of the dinner table. Like it was always just I needed to have a book with me. Who would you say is like best shaped your writing? Yeah, I think it's actually. I think in terms of authors, there's definitely would be Annie Prowl. I think she did the most because she had especially reading The Shipping News, she had these just insane characters and these really unusual names and she pushed things in her stories so far and I realized that you can really get away with a lot and those ridiculous things that you come up with aren't actually ridiculous when you write about them. They become, they become real and she, she was a big part of me kind of putting together stories and having these unusual characters and these you know, completely outlandish circumstances happening. As far as all of the education that you've received with your undergraduate and your master's degree in this particular field, how would you, was there ever a moment during that time where you felt like you were just going to like toss it in? Like, what am I doing thinking I'm a writer? Or has it always been totally clear to you? It's, it's always been clear this is what I wanted to do. And I never considered quitting. I mean, I think I was always probably overly confident in myself, even when I probably shouldn't have been. So uh, looking back on some of my work, I can see that I was very, very, you know, uh, raw. And, you know, I was a very green writer. And I think I was trying really hard and the passion was there, but I didn't didn't have the ability I probably thought I did at the time. Whereas looking at my work now, or even my work a year, two years ago, I think I can see the development and I can see how much better it's gotten. So I'm... My confidence has always done me, I think, a, you know, a favor because it, it always kept me going. And I thought, no, I'm, I, I can do this. Like, there's no way that I'm going to do all this work and I'm going to spend all this time and, and just walk away from it. Um, and I'm happy. I'm happy when I'm writing. I'm happy when I'm thinking about things. I'm happy when I'm reading. It's, it's the thing that's made me happiest in my life. How would you feel if you didn't publish this book? I don't know at what point I would stop trying to publish it. I'm not sure. I've, I've really never seriously considered it won't happen, which isn't really, uh, you know, me being big-headed. It's more just being determined. And I think if you, if you spend too much time thinking, well, if it doesn't get published, what am I going to do then? What am I going to write then? I think you, you can kind of invite... Um, a, 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 you, you invite quitting on yourself, I think, almost. You almost say, well... If it doesn't happen, then I'll do this instead. But if you just don't consider that, if you just think, no, this is, this is going to happen, um, I think it might serve me better in, in the future. Um, I can't think about not, this not getting published because if this doesn't, then there's a good chance nothing will. And then what have I done all this for? So you just can't invite excuse in at all? No, no, it doesn't work for me. Um, I'm certainly willing to say, right, it's not going to get published in its current form. Maybe I need to just work on it more. But if I, if I think it's not, if I think there's a chance it's not going to get out there, I think I'd let in a lot of other insecurities and that might just be the end. Mm. What about this idea? How do you feel? You ha you've had a great deal of short stories published, but this idea that your first book, because a lot of first-time novelists get wrapped up in that this one has to be great absolutely straight out the gate what are 
I've, you want to release something that is your best at this time, but how do you feel knowing that you'll even grow from this? And like Zadie Smith once said that she looks back on some of her first works and is like, I cannot believe I actually wrote that. Like the first couple pages of White Teeth, she said, I can't believe I wrote those pages. How do you feel about that? I, I, I mean, I, I remember her saying that. I completely agree with her. I think if you write your best book, your first book is your best book, and you never write anything better, I think that's, that's, that's a real shame. Because writers, are, we're, we're really, really lucky in that writers are never their best. We are never at our best because we are always changing. One, one life experience could completely you know, redevelop your writing style. I think you are never, ever writing your best work which can be to some, I think, exhausting and, oh, you know, what's the point? But to me, it's great because I can write this book and the second one, you know, maybe it will just, it will just blow everyone out of the water. If my first one didn't, that's fine. You are, you're never your best and you're never not growing. I, I love that aspect about writing. It's, it's kind of unique uh, in that kind of way. I think if, you, if your commitment isn't quite there, um, you just need to think about what you want to get out of it. So if, if people want to be published but they don't have the confidence, then I think they probably need to spend more time with their work. Um, and I would definitely recommend workshops to everybody. And I mean, just even going into a, you know, a one, you can join workshops at libraries, you can um, go into kind of community groups. I mean, workshops just, even if people tear your work to shreds, a good workshop will also tell you how to put it back together again better. So... They have, they've been the most helpful for me, but no one else is going to give you the confidence that you need to completely finish a book. Like that's gonna, That has to come from you. Um, if you rely on other people to tell you how great you are, um, you'll just fall flat on your face because there is a moment when it just has to be you saying to yourself, I can do this, this is good. Um, so if you don't have that confidence, it's something you, you can actually, I think, work on and you can get it. Um, but you need, to, you need to want that and you need to be able to be really harsh with yourself sometimes. A lot of people struggle with that. You need to be able to say, this, is, this isn't good enough. Um, you know, I, I, this, is, this isn't going to work. And, like, you know, the classic kill your darlings, get rid of the stuff that's not working. And it, it sucks, but you actually do get used to it. Thanks for listening to this first episode of Our Unwritten Books. Bridget and I are really excited about some of the conversations that are happening. And we've already got our next episode in the mix. So if you happen to have an unwritten book or know of someone who would be great for the project, we're interested in expanding the conversation, in hearing a variety of voices and a variety of experiences. So check out our website at ourunwrittenbooks.org, find us on social media, or send us an email at ourunwrittenbooks at gmail.com. We'd like to thank each one of the women who were guests on today's show, Naomi, Nat, Courtney and Laura. Thanks to each one of them for starting the conversation for us and for being able to go in there and explore some of the sticky, strange feelings about taking ownership of being a writer. We hope that you'll keep listening in as we carry on with this project. And in the meantime, keep writing.